Welcome to ReachMD. You are listening to Lipid Luminations, produced in partnership with the National Lipid Association and supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca. Your host is Dr. Alan Brown, Director of the Division of Cardiology at Advocate Lutheran General Hospital and Director of Midwest Heart Disease Prevention Center at Midwest Heart Specialists at Advocate Healthcare. Good morning, I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and with me today is Dr. Merle Meyerson. Dr. Meyerson is a cardiologist and board-certified lipidologist. She holds a doctorate in exercise physiology and is an expert in sports cardiology. She's the founder and director of the cardiology section in the Institute of Advanced Medicine and HIV program at Mount Sinai Health System. She's a professor at Columbia University Teachers College, Division of Applied Exercise Physiology, where she teaches and conducts research. And we have the privilege today of broadcasting live from the National Lipid Association meeting in Chicago. So thank you very much, Dr. Meyerson, for Mm -hmm. taking time to talk with us today. I know that you have a particular expertise in HIV, and it's something that, you know, my perception is a lot of people who consider themselves preventionalists don't have a strong background in. So I'm very excited to hear your thoughts. Can you tell us a little bit about the changing face of HIV? Obviously, when I was young, it was almost a uniformly lethal diagnosis. So tell us about the current state of the art in terms of prognosis and treatment. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I was training, it was, you know, you'd see a patient one week and then in a couple weeks you would not see them because most did not survive. With the advent of antiretrovirals, it's really changed the face of HIV. And patients now are living longer lives, healthier lives, as long as they maintain their regimen of medication. So now with that comes the side effects of the medication and also diseases of aging, you know, so this has become more of a chronic disease. And some of the side effects of the medication are producing a dyslipidemia, a metabolic syndrome. Patients, as I said, we're living to ages where cardiovascular disease and some of the cancers are becoming more prevalent. So let me ask you, as someone who is like Mm -hmm. us, a lipidologist and a prevention geek, Mm -hmm. what got you interested in treating patients with HIV? In 2008, I was at uh, St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital, where I'm still at. It's now part of Mount Sinai. And I read the reports from the American Heart Association had convened an experts panel and multidisciplinary meeting headed by Steve Grinspoon. And it was very interesting because, you know, prior to this, I didn't really think that prevention and HIV went together. And after I read that, I went to the head of our very large HIV clinic, and I prepared a little presentation. I said I was a prevention specialist, cardiologist, lipid specialist, and I think your patients need my care. And they said, that's great, but we don't like to send out. We bring people in. You know, we're going to bring you in. This has never been done in the United States, and we'd like to probably go forward with this. And after that, the floodgates opened. Not only was I doing prevention, but there was people with coronary artery disease, valve disease, fainting, you know, the whole breadth of cardiology. And then we began knowing more and more about it. And I started doing research and trying to develop models of care. So let me ask you, I think a lot of people don't realize that HIV is really a chronic disease and and people live much, much longer. And we have the successful therapeutic agents. There is such an increased risk for cardiovascular disease in this 
in these patients. Can you tell us a little bit about what is the magnitude of increased risk and what do you think the pathophysiology is? Some estimates say that they are twice as likely to get cardiovascular disease, but you know, the it's very hard to sort out the other things. For example, many more patients smoke than in the general population. Many don't have access to good care. We also think that the HIV in and of itself produces metabolic changes that increase the risk. Then you have the antiretrovirals. Now, some of the newer antiretrovirals are less cardiotoxic, are less likely to produce the metabolic changes. However, you know, we're still looking at those medicines as probably exacerbating the problem. So added to that, we have inflammation and, you know, HIV is an inflammatory disease. Now, the exact way that inflammation is different or unique in these patients is unclear. There's an ongoing NIH study called the Reprieve study, which is looking at the use of pitavastatin in these patients, patients who are otherwise at lower risk for cardiovascular disease, to see, uh, to look at inflammation, the effect of statins. So we have a lot to learn, and there's a lot of reasons and possible reasons why they are at increased risk. So I actually, I'm going to approach you with three different questions. I, I want to ask you a little bit about when you first encounter a patient with HIV, what kind of vascular workup do you do? How do you assess them uh, since their risk is higher? And then what the effects of the treatment are on the thing most dear to our heart, the dyslipidemia and whatever else you think is relevant to the development of atherosclerosis. And then finally, what the best options for treating those metabolic abnormalities are. So let's start with, do you have sort of a protocol when you see a new patient with HIV for a workup for vascular disease? Yes, I do. And a lot of this does follow the National Lipid Association and the NCP ATP3 risk stratification. However, I I do modify it. And, you know, there'll be a paper out in Journal of Clinical Pharmacology where I go step by step to take the clinician through this. So I add some different things to the history. For example, you know, I really look at substance abuse. You know, we all know that cocaine can cause an acute heart attack and over time may increase risk for atherosclerotic disease. I also ask about, you know, who cooks for them. Many patients do not live in a place where they have access to a kitchen, where they can buy good food, exercise, things like that. I also look at all their medications because certainly using some of the lipid medicines, which also work in the liver, but if they're, many have hepatitis, are on lots of medications that work in the liver. So, you know, I think in some, I follow the traditional risk stratification in history and physical, but I add something to that, the relevant aspects of care for patients living with HIV. Okay, so then once therapy gets started mm-hmm. and you put patients on antiretroviral mm-hmm. agent, What are the changes that people could attribute to metabolic effects of the medication? And then we'll get to how you deal with that. So the HIV, not including the antiretrovirals, probably produces a metabolic syndrome. Not so much the hypertension, but the high triglycerides, low HDL, the increased waist circumference, also the insulin resistance. So added on that, some of the medications, especially the protease inhibitors, which are being used less often these days, you know, would exacerbate that. So I do look at the medications, but remember that the primary importance is that they are virally suppressed. So if they're already on a regimen that they tolerate, that they're adhering to and is working, you know, I'm not going to so much look at that and say, well, we should change the antiretrovirals. I'll work around it. 
You know, then I get a fasting lipid panel as well. I try to get the uh, waist circumference, but a little difficult because uh, I can't get the nurses to do that yet, which I understand. And I speak to them about their risk. I also try to work with lifestyle modification. If I can get them to stop smoking or even reduce, if I can get them to move, you know, if not adopt a regular exercise program. So I get my fasting lipid panel. I do like apolipoprotein B because it's important to remember in these patients, they tend to have more of a discordance between LDL cholesterol and LDL particle or ApoB. And we're actually putting out a paper looking at that. And I presented that at NLA a couple of years ago. Do you think that's primarily because of the metabolic syndrome? So they, mm. they have increased particle numbers, low HDL, high triglycerides. Yeah. And is there any idea mechanistically how yeah. the HIV leads to metabolic syndrome in itself? Yeah, well, I do. I, I believe that you know, part of this is the, the metabolic syndrome, and we're seeing that reflected in that discordance between LDL and L, LDL cholesterol, LDL particle, and ApoB, much the same way we see in diabetics and metabolic syndrome. So why this is true, you know, probably because of the inflammatory state, the insulin resistance is all contributing to that. You know, we're just beginning to delve into that. And, you know, my paper that hopefully will be out in the next six months is just going to be more descriptive. And after that, we'll start looking into reasons why. But I do think it's important to know that LDL cholesterol may not reflect their total atherosclerotic particle burden. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm speaking with Dr. Merle Meyerson about HIV and atherosclerotic disease. So, Dr. Meyerson, can you tell us then, once you add antiretrovirals, do you see the exacerbation of the metabolic syndrome type dyslipidemia, or does the LDL go up? There's some very good tables. Actually, Ken Kellick has excellent tables that I've used in some of my papers looking at the changes in interactions. But in general, we most often see that the triglycerides are up and the HDL down and the LDL less affected by the antiretrovirals. But, you know, going forward, there's different classes of antiretrovirals that probably are going to be a lot less effective, a lot less damaging to their cardiovascular risk and won't alter the lipid profile as much. Okay, so that brings us to the million-dollar question, which is when you have a patient who's on treatment, obviously many of the treatments share a common metabolic pathway with our statin therapies. And secondly, so, so obviously as lipid geeks, we're anxious to treat those numbers. Is there any evidence, first of all, that certain drugs are more appropriate in patients who are on therapy for HIV? And then secondly, is there any evidence that treating the numbers improves the outcome in these patients? In terms of using medications, yes, the statins still, for all the reasons we use statins for the general population, are very good. With HIV, we tend not to use certain ones. Some are contraindicated with certain antiretrovirals, and those are lovastatin, simvastatin. The ones that we do use are atorvastatin. We do sometimes monitor the dose and not go above 40. Uh, pravastatin, great medicine, and but it's not as potent as the other statins. And rosuvastatin can be used, and patavastatin. Patavastatin is the medication that has probably the most research for these patients, and also some research showing that it does not seem to affect the insulin resistance. So that being said, I am a big fan of non-statin drugs when appropriate, and certainly many of these patients have very high triglycerides, and I'll reach for my fibrates and fish oil. One thing to remember with 
with the fish oil for large pills. And, you know, these patients are already on many pills. I don't blame them for having a hard time taking all the pills, you know, if I give them four of, say, uh, prescription fish oil. Zedia I've used in patients with HIV. I tend to avoid the bile acid sequestrants, and the reason for that is they uh, interfere with absorption of other medications, and they can raise triglycerides. Okay. Niacin can be used, although you know whether it worsens their insulin resistance, also the side effects, and it's another medication that does work in the liver. So certainly, you know, there are more limitations, and on top of that, we have lack of insurance coverage. Many of these patients do not have good insurance plans very, very hard to get the optimal medications for them. So that, that's fascinating. The final piece is outcome data. You know, in patients who have dyslipidemia due to either mm-hmm. their HIV or their therapy for mm-hmm. HIV, do we have data that treating the lipids improves their cardiovascular outcome? We, we don't have very good outcome studies. You know, we hopefully will get information from the reprieve study, although these are at low-risk patients. And I should say here that my feeling is that when you have HIV, you may not be at low risk. We do not have HIV-specific risk stratification, but as we are writing in these Part 2 guidelines, our chair is Judy Aberg on this, I'm on the committee, we feel that if someone has HIV, you should consider raising one risk group. In other words, if someone has maybe one or two risk factors and they may be considered lower risk, you know, bump it up a, a bit. So I think that in terms of treating and outcomes, we extrapolate from the general population. And from decades of research, we know that lowering LDL is good, no matter how you lower it. So my feeling is that, yes, you know, aggressive risk factor treatment, especially dyslipidemia, will lower their risk for heart events. And, you know, I hope in the future we'll have better information, better outcome studies. Well, thank you very much for a really illuminating Mm -hmm interview with regard to HIV patients. I think they're a group of patients that uh, many of us need to learn more about, and we certainly appreciate your experience. Thank you, Dr. Marison, for being with us today. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. For our audience, I'm 